Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. And for the rest of the hour, we are going to take a look at what California is doing to avoid power outages this summer and fall. Of course, hot, dry weather are going to be increasing the risk for wildfires, but also driving up demand for electricity to power air conditioning. Governor Gavin Newsom knows that his fate in the upcoming recall election could be determined in part by whether or not Californians experience rolling blackouts or widespread public safety power shutoffs to prevent wildfires. So... What's the state doing to make sure demand for electricity doesn't exceed supply? Joining us is Elliot Mainzer. He is president and CEO of the California Independent System Operator. They run the electricity grid in California. Mr. Mainzer, welcome. Thank you, Scott. Pleasure to be here. And also joining us is Sammy Roth. He's an energy reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Sammy, welcome to you as well. Hey, Scott. Well, let me begin with you, uh, Elliot, if I can. What, uh, you know, we've, we've seen this movie before as well. You know, it's going to be hot, demand for electricity goes up, wildfire risks, power shutoffs. How well is California prepared? What's different, if anything, in 2021 from, say, 2020 or 2019? And I know you're relatively new to the ISO, but what's your sense? Yeah, there, there are several things that are different from, from last summer. I think the first thing, probably most important, is that the California Public Utilities Commission has ordered the procurement of some additional resources. Relative to last summer, there will be about 3,000 to 3,500 megawatts of additional capacity on the system. This summer, about 2,000 megawatts of that being uh, four-hour lithium-ion batteries that will help uh, re-inject power back into the grid after sunset. So that's a very uh, important distinction. I think generally the infrastructure, the transmission lines, the generation fleet is going to be better prepared this summer uh, for for stretched grid conditions. Uh, the California ISO, we've taken some steps to address some issues we found last summer with our energy market and make sure that the pricing and, and the capacity determinations are as accurate as possible. And I think just in general, the communication coordination with the utilities uh, is, is going to be much better uh, than we saw last summer. So I'll start there. And- yeah. And you testified, I think, last week uh, before the legislature, I believe it was, that, and I'm quoting here, new resources are coming online this summer. And I think you just alluded to some of those. What, what else are you referring to? Where, where else, what other potential sources of power is the state looking at? 
Well, there's going to be, certainly there'll be some additional solar generation. There's going to be some a small amount of, of incremental gas. There'll be some behind the meter generators. But the big defining difference this summer, and something that's really going to be, <clears throat> I think, under observation globally, is we're going to have 2,000 megawatts of batteries on our system. That's a huge difference from last year. And so this is going to be the first summer where California really is going to conduct, I think, um, a major experiment to see how well these resources perform. We've been working very closely with the storage industry to make sure that those batteries are really well prepared. So they'll be absorbing extra solar energy during the course of the day. And as the sun sets and loads are still high, like we saw last year, they'll be re-injecting that power back into the grid. And battery storage uh, as I'm sure we'll get to later in the show, is, is going to be a critical part of California's strategy here in the next several years, particularly with significant resource retirements on the horizon. Is that new technology, those kinds of batteries? I mean, why why are they just coming online now? Well, you know, as, as the state has been looking at this big transition away from fossil fuels towards much greater dependence on, on wind and solar uh, and moving away, you know, diminishing our, our use of the natural gas fleet, uh, we've recognized that you're going to need other forms of dispatchable capacity. Batteries have been undergoing significant uh, technological evolution and, and cost improvements here in the last few years. The current technology that we're going to really be looking at this summer is four-hour lithium-ion batteries. Uh, that's going to be the first big tranche but they're also now starting to look at other chemistries, other durations. and But storage in general is going to be a big part of California's future. Where do those batteries live? Where are they? They're installed in a variety of different places across California, a lot of them being located on existing substations. Uh, in some places, uh, replacing in, in sites where, where uh, previous gas plants are being taken offline. Uh, and increasingly, they'll be distributed across you know, the backbone of the points of interconnection on the California grid. And Sammy Roth, I wonder if you're hearing anything from users of power, whether it's uh, businesses, homeowners, hospitals. Uh, what concerns are you hearing or are you aware of, you know, as we go into, you know, yet another hot, dry uh, summer with a possibility of energy shortages or power shutoffs? Well, I mean, I think interestingly, the thing that I, I hear the most concerns about from people is is these other types of uh, power shutoffs related to wildfire prevention. Um, you know, these, these public safety power shutoffs that, you know, we, we had a, a lot of these last, uh, you know, uh, two summers ago, especially, and, and also last summer. And I think folks remember these were super, super disruptive. And, you know, people's, uh, you know, refrigerator contents were spoiling and people were going to community centers to stay cool and hospitals were you know, scrambling to make sure they had backup power in place. I mean, when you look at the the power shortage type issues that, that, that Elliot has been talking about, um, those are super serious, but you know what we had last summer was a, a couple hundred thousand people out basically two two evenings in a row for you know an hour and a half or maybe two hours. So I, I mean I think people are concerned about that, and I think that there's you know rightfully a lot of action taken to make sure that doesn't happen again or doesn't get worse. But when you look at just you know regular Californians who are you know experiencing things with their energy supply, I think the the wildfire related stuff is, has probably been a much bigger concern. Yeah, and I think, you know, Governor Newsom and many others were very critical of utility companies like PG&E uh, for excessively broad and wide power outages to reduce those risks uh, to of power lines sparking wildfires. What What's different? Are they able to more precisely this time around, more precisely shut power off? That's pretty much right. I mean, they've been making upgrades to their, their infrastructure and their equipment so that when they, you know, they shut off a circuit, it can be, you know, limited to a, you know, a, a smaller group of people related to where they really think the danger is highest in terms of, uh, you know, dry dry temperature and heat and vegetation and, uh, 
you know, they can get get things turned on yeah. faster. It, it looks like that's going to be a bit better this summer, but, you know, how much is, is to be seen. Okay, we're going to continue our conversation about our energy future looking ahead to the summer and fall. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. It's 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook if you like. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour. We're talking about the state's electric and energy supply for the summer with Sammy Roth. He's energy reporter for the LA Times. And Elliot Mainzer, CEO and president of the California ISO, which manages 80% of the state's electricity supply. And Elliot, just for the break, uh, Sammy was uh, talking about PG&E. Um, one of the other criticisms of them has been that they failed to do the kind of maintenance and trimming of trees that, uh, you know, were responsible. The lack of maintenance was responsible for some of these fires in the past several years. What is your sense of whether the situation is different? Is, has PG&E been more on top of that situation? Well, I think, you know, from my, my perspective, you know, we know that, that PG&E has, has, has a new CEO now and Patty Poppy and, and a a significantly reworked leadership team and everything we're hearing from them initially is just a, a flat out commitment to get ahead of these safety problems. I think they recognize just the, just the sheer existential risk they face as an organization if they don't get that under control of the long term. So, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. You know, I know that uh, there's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of oversight. I think they feel it. But, you know, hopefully we're going to start seeing uh, better results. I want to give out the phone number if you want to join us. Again, the number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email us if you like. It's forum at kqed.org. What thoughts, what concerns do you have for your home, your business, uh, loved ones who may be in nursing homes, or if you yourself have medical equipment that requires electricity, maybe you experienced some of those outages in the past few years, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Sammy, you've been also writing, and this is down the road now, but uh, that uh, the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant on the Central Coast is scheduled to be decommissioned uh, in a couple of years, few years. 2024, I believe, uh, what plans are in place to replace that energy? Because right now, I think we get about 6% of our energy uh, in California from Diablo Canyon. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I mean, Diablo Canyon is, I mean, as you said, 6%, it's the, it's the single largest power source in, in the state of California. And I mean, not only that, it's all zero carbon. So this is a, you know, a resource that doesn't contribute to climate change. And there's actually a, a law that says that we're supposed to replace it with, uh, with stuff that also doesn't contribute to climate change. Um, so it's a challenge. And there's been criticism uh, that I've been writing about from uh, environmental groups who have been looking at the state's planning efforts and the Public Utilities Commission and, and basically arguing, hey, there's, there's not enough happening here. Uh, you know, emissions look like they're going to go up when this thing shuts down, which is, which is what happened when uh, the, the San Onofre nuclear plant closed here in Southern California. 
um, and that we need to, you know, get a get a plan in place to, um, you know, bring stuff online when when this shuts down. That's going to prevent that from happening. The the Public Utilities Commission did just at the end of last week um, come out with a, a new proposal on this. Uh, nothing has been finalized yet, but they're saying now that they're going to. Um, you know, probably order uh, the you know utilities and, and local energy providers to buy uh, just about as much energy as as Diablo produces, but from zero carbon sources. So probably that would look like you know things like we've been talking about solar panels with uh, you know with with batteries that can generate into the evening and and possibly some uh, different types of storage that can uh, help cover that gap. T- to be seen how it's going to work out, but that's that's what they're. Uh, proposing at the moment. And Elliot Mainzer, uh, I mentioned at the top that, of course, Governor Newsom is facing a likely recall election later this year. And uh, while people may not blame him for any wildfires or shortages of power, he is, you know, there, that anger goes somewhere. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, what uh, what sort of conversations have you had with the administration, on or off the record, so to speak, uh, about the lengths to which they want the ISO to go to prevent uh, the worst of these outages to happen? Well, you know, all I can say is certainly uh, we heard very uh, directly uh, from Governor Newsom, you know, last year after these events, you know, I was, I was still just coming in the door, but the reverberations of that have continued to re- to reverberate through the state apparatus. I can tell you that the, you know, the California Public Utilities Commission leadership, California Energy Commission, certainly us at the ISO, we all recognize uh, that there's very much at stake here, the focus and the determination to get on top of these issues for this summer and, and really beyond as well. I mean, this summer, you know, I think we're we're, we're better positioned, certainly relative to last summer. We, we've been very clear that we sort of characterize it as guarded optimism. You know, we, we, we're going to have to watch very carefully uh, if we get into another big west-wide heat wave. Uh, as we saw last summer, where imports from adjacent states start to dry up, the grid's going to get stressed. And honestly, we're going to need a lot of help from the people of California to help us from about 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. to manage their electricity demand. You know, it's going to be sort of all hands on deck to keep the grid reliable during this transition. But I think, as Sammy just said, you know, we are encouraged uh, by the sense of urgency coming out of the PUC. That's, you know, they're talking about 11,500 megawatts of capacity here in the next several years. That's very important to get that in the ground. And for, for us at the ISO, our, our responsibility is also extended to make sure that the transmission grid is, is appropriately planned to get those resources on the system and working with the utilities uh, who need to make sure that that their interconnection facilities are ready to connect that next big generation of resources to the grid. You know, if it takes 6,000 megawatts out of the system, the other resources have to be ready to go. So we're encouraged. We're all extremely focused. And nobody, everybody knows that uh, failure uh, is not an option. Go to the phones in a moment. Let me just give out the number again. It's 866-733-6786. Talking about the uh, outlook for energy and energy shortages and what's being done to prevent that this summer. And let's go to Stephen in Santa Cruz. Welcome. Thanks. I just wanted to point out that a great thing we do. Well, that was not a good connection. I think Stephen uh, wanted to ask about Diablo Canyon and uh, the fact that it doesn't need to shut down, that it's a political decision. Uh, Sammy, um, Assuming that Stephen, we don't have Stephen. What about that? I mean, uh, you know, Jerry Brown, uh, as you pointed out, I think in your article, opposed Diablo Canyon back in 1979 before it came online. And now, of course, his big issue is climate change and carbon emissions. And there is no carbon emission from uh, Diablo Canyon. Is there any rethinking of shutting it down or of nuclear power more generally? 
Well, I mean, there's there's definitely a you know a, a group of people in California who have started to feel like you know this is this is stupid. Why are we taking off our largest source of uh, of climate friendly energy? Let's let's leave it there and not make this job harder for ourselves. At the same time, I mean, the I think the dominant public opinion, you know, in in California and in a lot of places, continues to be what it was in the 1970s, which is there's this really, you know, strong anti-nuclear sentiment. People are are super worried about radiation. Um, you know, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island. We had Fukushima Daiichi in in Japan just about a, a decade ago. Those are events that loom really large over the public consciousness. And of course, we've got earthquake faults running up and down the coast in California. And PG&E says the plant is is safe and would withstand a major earthquake, but there are a lot of people who you know don't don't trust that or don't believe that. So I mean, yes, to, to an extent, there you know, if, if Carla was going to say it's a political decision, that's right. Um, but it's a political decision that's uh, you know in, informed by a pretty strong public sentiment, and it it doesn't really seem like there's that much likelihood that the state's going to you know turn the ship around on this one. Yeah, Elliot means you're, uh, as I mentioned, you came from a different. Uh, part of the country, it, 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 the Bonneville Power uh, Company, I believe, um, was, is there, is the attitude about nuclear in California different from other parts of the country? In other words, it's pretty much a non-starter when you come, when it comes to a conversation about, gee, should we build new plants? I don't, I don't think it's fundamentally different in certain parts of the Northwest. You know, all of these regions are diverse. There's always a plurality of opinion, but I think the, I think most folks that are doing long-term planning right now and doing, you know, have responsibility for resource adequacy, are are not as focused on on nuclear as they are on wind, solar, geothermal, offshore resources, and really trying to get paired with 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 the battery storage capabilities, the energy storage capabilities, and trying to figure out, you know, technologically what are going to be some of the longer dated types of resources that may come into the mix that provide that kind of firm and dispatchable capacity that we need from the grid. So hydrogen, alternative fuels. So, you know, we, we sort of take, uh, you know, we kind of know where California is headed here in the next few years, years. And that's why I think, again, as Sammy mentioned, that, that sense of urgency and resource replacement to stay ahead of the reliability curve is, is just going to be so critical in the next five years. All right, let's go back to the phones. Again, it's 866-733-6786 if you want to join us. Let's go to Livermore. Alan, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me on. Sure. What's on your mind? So I just had a, yeah, so I had a question. Um, so obviously, as California is pushing towards more, um, you know, like electric vehicles, um, electric appliances, trying to move away from natural gas and stuff, um, does that mean kind of in the long run we're going to have um, just more power shutoffs just because there's so many more fixtures and appliances relying on electric? Yeah, good question. Elliot Mainzer? Well, that certainly is not uh, the goal. Uh, we, you know, certainly working within California, and of course, we work closely with with utilities uh, in adjacent states, many of whom now share California's long-term renewable energy and clean energy objectives. You know, our goal, in many ways, is we, we refer to it as reliable decarbonization. I do not think it's going to be an acceptable outcome if our energy systems are consistently riddled with with outages and shortages. That said, it you know demand flexibility. And, and infrastructure flexibility, appliance flexibility is going to be a big part of the mix. You know, you can save a lot of money and you can get yourself further down the curve of decarbonization if customers and industrial players work with us to help shape demand and, and, and move their consumption out of some of those more stressed periods. So this summer, you'll, you'll hear a lot of messaging from us. Uh, through the ISO, through the California Public Utilities Commission, through the utilities, we're going to really be reaching out to consumers. You know, the state, all of us have embarked on this journey together. You know, we 
you know, decarbonization is one of the foundational challenges of our of our time, if not the foundational challenge. And so, so everybody needs to participate and it can not only be effective, it can even at, at some points be lucrative, you know, we're looking for ways to pay people to reduce their demand. So it's going to be part of the mix and ultimately can contribute to reliability. And, and Sammy, supply is important, of course, but there's also conservation uh, and, and so much energy is wasted uh, with bad insulation, bad windows in buildings and homes, uh, office buildings. What's happening on that front? Yeah, I mean, energy efficiency has been something that California has been uh, working on for, for a number of decades now, and I'll, I'll probably mingle this statistic a little bit, but it's, you know, it's something like uh, energy demand has been flat since the, and I want to say the electricity demand since the uh, 70s or 80s or something like that. I mean, you've had population going, you know, up, 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 and, and electric demand staying flat. So there's a lot of, there's been a lot of success there and, and a lot of room still to grow. I, you know, I think when we talk about power shortages and keeping the lights on, one of the most interesting things that's happening now is, is sort of trying to figure out ways to get people to be more flexible um, and creative in, in when they're using electricity. So we've got all this, uh, you know, solar that's generating during the middle of the day. And in fact, we have so much solar that sometimes we're, uh, you know, ordering plants to shut down or sending it to other states. And so if, if people could be, you know, running their dishwashers, for instance, or charging their electric vehicles, uh, you know, when it's super sunny and then not doing that so much in the evening, um, and and even being responsive to what conditions are like on the grid and and what uh, you know what the power situation is like on a given day or a given week, that could be a really big deal, um, you know, in sort of helping us uh, you know resolve this this challenge that Elliot's talking about. There there are programs that are in place that are sort of you know in the the pilot and early stages, uh, you know, companies that are working with local governments, um, you know, ways of changing around electric rates to incentivize people to use energy at different times. Uh, long way to go to figure that out and put that puzzle together, but it's an interesting area. All right, Alan, thank you very much for that call. Let's go now to Santa Rosa and Art. Welcome. Yes, hello, thank you. Sure. Uh, it's interesting, nobody's mentioning anything about the waste from nuclear power, which lasts, what, tens of, tens of thousands of years, even if underground. Granted, uh, up front, and operationally wise, it's pretty clean. Uh, but uh, I'm just concerned about the waste, uh, as as will many people that are, will come after us. Yeah, Sammy, that, that's always been one of the big concerns, not just a meltdown, but what to do with the nuclear waste. It, it, it has been, and I, I had a whole section on this in the, the story that I had published in, in the LA Times last week. I mean, there was, uh, you know, a proposal to build this repository at Yucca Mountain in Nevada. Um, a lot of people in Nevada didn't want that. It didn't move forward. Right now, the situation we're in is that uh, this, this, you know, nuclear, spent nuclear fuel is being stored on site at, at plants that are both operating and shut down like San Onofre. So, yeah, that's that's a big concern and something that there is no uh, no resolution for at the moment. Got some comments from listeners. And Art, thank you for that, by the way. Uh, Daniel writes, uh, yeah, Daniel writes, every day private properties are installing solar panels uh, and on-site storage. How is the grid prepared for the onslaught of power over generation? Are there discussions on keeping some of that solar power generation locally for the immediate community use? Elliot Mainzer? Yeah, certainly. Uh you know, plenty of that local generation will be used for local community use. Uh, some of it will be used uh, to charge batteries, and it will then be redirected uh, back into the uh, you know post sunset hours when the grid gets stressed. And, and we also we we export uh, quite a bit of that electricity during certain times of the year to adjacent states. You know, we're part of a big 
um, Western interconnection market. And, uh, we, you know, we, we partner with utilities in the Pacific Northwest and the Jesuit Southwest, and sometimes we're exporting surplus to them, sometimes we're importing from them. So that's part of the big interchange and the sort of interconnected operations of the Western energy market. So local power, <clears throat> uh, storage, and, and regional interconnectivity is how we approach that. I remember in 2001 and two when California and Governor Gray Davis, uh, who of course was recalled later, uh, was dealing with these rolling blackouts. We found out later that Enron was sort of was gaming the energy market and, and uh, that was part of the problem. But there were all these peaker plants uh, that came online. Are those still uh, an important part of the entire grid, Elliot? They they are to a certain degree. There's been you know there's been some retirement of natural gas in California in the last several years, but but you know the gas resource has continued to play an important part of California's reliability equation. I think one of the fundamental challenges that our energy planners are looking at in the state is is how do we sort of reduce that dependency here in the next 10, 15, 20 years? And and how do we reduce the electricity production from those resources to reduce fossil fuel emissions while at the same time finding ways to preserve some of the flexibility and capacity capabilities of those projects? So certainly gas is still a big part of the mix here in California, but the goal of course, by 2045 is to really eliminate our dependence on its energy content. All right. Let's go to San Jose now. Uh, we can get one more call in before the end of the hour. Jay, welcome. Hi. Um, so I'm glad that we're working on the last missing piece of the puzzle in the renewable, which is the battery. But, you know, the three biggest utility corporations uh, in California, PG&E, San Diego Electric, and SoCal Edison, are trying to kill the solar industry with AD 1139 and net energy metering three. So the rhetoric's there, but what CPUC, you know, they're kind of owned by these companies. And I just want you to elaborate on that. Uh, Elliot or uh, maybe Sammy, do you want to take that? Yeah. Let's see. yeah um, I mean, this is a, a real big fight that's happening right now. And there, there've been a number of uh, skirmishes over the, the last decade between the, the big utilities uh, that were just mentioned and, um, yeah, the rooftop solar industry and environmental groups over over net metering, which is this uh, this policy that uh, compensates households with rooftop solar for for the electricity that they they generate and and put onto the grid, and and yeah, there's this bill in the the legislature now that um, is quite controversial. Also, I, I guess I'll put myself on the record here that uh, this is this is going to be a story that I'm going to be doing very shortly, and so I, I don't have all of the the details at the moment, but I, I am committed to finding them out soon and uh, airing them to the public. Uh, coming up on the end of the hour, but Elliot, uh, what are you? What, what's your biggest fear? What keeps you up at night? And uh, mm. what are you ho most hopeful about as we head into the summer? Well, I what, I'll start with the hopeful. You know, I, I and and it's they they blend into each other. I think you know what's last summer's events was, that was a watershed moment for California. You know, it was a bit of a proverbial wake up call, and I, I am encouraged. Uh, by the sense of coordination, communication with the state agencies, working well with the environmental community, uh, working well, you know, with with our partners across the state, and I think that we certainly are in better shape in terms of anticipating the issues. So this right. summer, yeah. you know, if we get Quickly, into big stress free conditions, if we get into stress conditions, all hands on deck. So thanks again for the opportunity <laughs> to be here. Really appreciate it. You bet, Elliot, Elliot Mainzer, President and CEO of the California ISO. We'll have to find out what keeps you up at night another time, I'm afraid. And Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. Thanks to you as well. I'm Scott Schaefer. Stick around for another hour of Forum. Mina Kim is here. She'll be talking about nostalgia viewing of old movies and TV shows. How do we judge them based on today's standards and norms? Thanks for listening.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.